Fishing and Vishing, Sherry Davidoff from LMG Security discusses cybersecurity whilst working remote. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Welcome back, Sherry. It's been a while. How are things going in Montana today? Things are going great. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Missoula, Montana. The birds are chirping. Not a bad day to be working from home. That sounds awesome. So, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think really important topic that we're discussing. And so just as a little bit of a primer here, you know, law firms are are settling into their new remote workflows. And one of the things they might not be thinking about today is cybersecurity risks associated with their employees now working at home. And of course, that opens up all sorts of risks for their clients' confidential information. And so, Sherry, your firm, LMG Security, advises law firms and other companies on how to protect their data from cyber attacks. So why don't we start from the beginning with a little bit of a kind of a scenario here. So you're a small, maybe mid-sized law firm. You've got employees, uh, maybe some associates and some staff that uh, help you with your operation. And you make the decision, the executive call, you're the leader, and you say, hey, we're all going to work at home. We're going to ride this COVID-19 thing out. And uh, everybody just take your computers. Let's work from home. We'll figure it out. So I guess the opening question, Sherry, is what are the first things that law firm leaders should be looking to do right then? Sure. Well, one thing to realize is that that first moment has already passed for everybody. And so in that first moment, we created a lot of messes to clean up, you know, and that's fine. This coronavirus thing has been an existential threat for people, both at an individual level and at an organizational level. When you are fighting potentially for your life, you're just trying to survive. You don't care if people are taking computers home, taking paperwork home, working on their own devices, whatever. But now that we're settling into a new norm, it's time to wake up and be like, oh, wow, what did we do? And pause and look back and start to clean things up a little bit. So I'm here to say it's fine. Whatever messes were created in the past few weeks, it's fine. But now is the time to pause and to start tightening up your security. And so uh, obviously, you know, if it was normal times, uh, you know, a lot of these firms would have, or hopefully they would have some type of cybersecurity policy put into place. And so now that's getting turned on its head. Some firms, as you're saying, are scrambling to catch up. But uh, just in terms of that, either whether you're starting a new cybersecurity policy or you're maintaining the one from the office, what are the major factors that law firm leaders should be thinking about as they deploy that policy or maintain it? Well, number one, know where your data is. I mean, and that's a big question mark for a lot of attorneys right now, especially when you think about the fact that people have taken computers and all kinds of other stuff home, or maybe they're putting it in the cloud. Maybe they're sending it to themselves through personal email so they can work on personal devices. And you can't secure data or keep it confidential unless you know where it is first. So step one, know where your data is and make sure that you establish a clear policy that outlines where it's okay to store data and where it's not okay to store data. One of the first things we need to think about is asset management. So take some time and send a message out to your colleagues or to your team and just try to get information about what equipment they took home. Get that list. Did you take a desktop? Did you take a laptop? Do you have monitors, keyboards, laptops, all kinds of stuff? Try to get that list centralized. That's especially important because most modern laptops these days are encrypted, but we don't see that as often on, on desktop computers. So you may have desktop computers that no one ever Ever expected would be taken out of an office environment that are sitting at people's houses with unencrypted data. What if they get stolen? What if that person leaves and moves on? How are you going to get that data back? 
So that's one thing to think about, the asset management piece. Uh, another thing to think about is physical security. Everybody has a different home environment. Some people are working home alone. Some people are working at home that they have a locked office. Some people are working at home with kids, with spouses, with roommates at the kitchen table, or they have a pile of papers in the corner of the room. So some things to think about. Number one, wherever folks can, leverage locks. Um, if you have a locking office, great, use it. But even if you don't, consider having a locking filing cabinet or issuing lockable filing cabinets. They're not that expensive compared to the potential risk that you face if things are inappropriately accessed. So lockable file cabinets, if you can, make sure you establish and remind people about that clean desk policy. It's probably even more important in the home environment, especially if there are other people around. That means that people at the end of the workday will clean off their desk so that other folks can't accidentally view their confidential information. Think about issuing things like privacy screens or laptop locks that can help prevent other people in the environment from seeing what's on somebody's screen or from having a device walk away. And finally, screen locking is a really big thing. You might not expect somebody in your house like your teenage kid to just sit down at your laptop and start using it, but it happens more often than you might think. And in some cases, that can count as a data breach. Or uh, you can get people whose computers get infected with viruses and malware just because some other person surfs to a gaming website or some other website that happens to infect them with a virus. So it's really important. Have automatic screen locking turned on. Have a very clear policy for sharing. Is it okay for you to let a kid use your work computer? If you have a personal computer that's used for work, consider requiring people to set up a separate account, things like that, and make sure that there's antivirus on all of these devices. Another big thing we've been talking about a lot is emergency BYOD, bring your own device. We have a lot of folks who um, typically don't use personal devices for work, and all of a sudden they are. So they weren't, you know, these firms were not necessarily set up for that. So maybe you're suddenly using a home computer when you weren't before. And if you're in this position, think about what's going to happen to that data on your computer. Put in some extra precautions. Don't use the cloud without checking out your cloud provider's first. Uh, for example, there are cloud providers like Google is a great example or Dropbox where they will automatically scan any documents that you upload. And so you can't guarantee the privacy of that for your clients. So make sure that any cloud providers you're using, and same thing goes for email, by the way, make sure any cloud providers you're using have a good privacy policy and that you know what they're going to do with the data that you upload. Well, Sarah, that was a really strong start here. So uh, obviously that goes for the leaders and the kind of general policy. But once it gets put into place, you know, whoever it is that manages the IT. So, um, you know, obviously with bigger firms, it's an IT department at Solos and Smalls. It's probably a person could be an associate themselves who manages the IT or maybe they hire um, an outside contractor. But just just in terms of that, the whole staff's gone remote. The person that's in charge of IT, what do they need to stay on top of? Run, don't walk to two-factor authentication. If you don't have two-factor authentication set up, do it now. That is the number one thing you should be doing because we're seeing all kinds of criminals break into new cloud accounts or remote desktop interfaces because they're stealing passwords and reusing them. So turn on two-factor authentication, that second form of verifying people's identities. Apps on your mobile devices are a great way to do it. And also educate people so they don't reuse the same password multiple places. 
You can deploy a password manager like LastPass or Dashlane to help people pick unique passwords. Um, so those are a couple of things you can do that will quickly and dramatically improve your security. And finally, don't just open up a computer directly to the internet, like turn on remote desktop protocol. Instead, use a VPN. That will dramatically increase your security. All right. So how about the employees? Now, at LMG Security, you often refer to them as on the front line for cyber attacks. And so you're working at home. You're one of the associate attorneys. You're one of the uh, front office staff. What can you do to help your firm not get attacked by people that want to steal your data? Sure. Well, think before you click and use strong and unique passwords. Those are the two big things you need to think about and also support multi-factor authentication efforts if you have them. So think before you click. Um, I know we were talking a little bit before that uh, phishing attacks are up over 667% in the past couple of months. I know you've experienced that yourself, Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I definitely want to get into that uh, on a, a follow-up question here. But uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, back to you. Back to you. This is good stuff. Yeah, so think before you click, make sure that you're really checking those emails. Um, we're seeing a lot of coronavirus-related scams. The Federal Trade Commission says hackers follow the headlines, and it is so true. So we're seeing all kinds of fraudulent emails about stimulus payments and uh, business loans and coronavirus products like masks and tests and things like that. So don't fall for them. And make sure that if you do fall for one, call right away. A lot of people are falling for these things, and the best way for your organization to protect itself is if you call and let someone know that you fell for one of those. And then again, use that two-factor authentication wherever you can. Excellent. Excellent. So just briefly on vishing and phishing. And so I'm getting into my phishing example here in a minute, but uh, vishing. So somebody calls up and, you know, you're a busy attorney, your head's, you know, in the clouds trying to think of like how to help your client. You get a call and you don't recognize the particular representative from a service that you have. It's like, I don't deal with this person, this person so-and-so. And, or maybe it's a service you don't recognize, but it seems like it's something the law firm would use. You're just not sure. What are your next steps? What, what should that be if you're not recognizing that call? doesn't register right away. Yeah. And we see a lot of financial fraud like, oh, hey, we never received your payment. Uh, can you, we're, we're going through a coronavirus audit and our bank account has changed. Can you please submit that payment to a different place? Those are scammers calling you. We're also seeing a lot of other scams like um, make sure that your office air system is clean so that there's no coronavirus. So if you get a scam, don't respond to it. If they leave a message or something like that, that'll just let the attacker know that They've got you on the hook. Um, if you can, if you have someone you can report those to, notify that person, um, like IT, especially if you think that you're being targeted. And certainly don't give anybody any money or access or information unless you've verified who they are. And when you verify, look up a number that you have on file and call them back at that number that you already have. I think that's really smart. I think uh, especially now when everybody's so busy, they're distracted, you know, especially at the work uh, home environment, you got, you know, you've got your pets, you got your uh, a significant other, your spouse, everybody, your, your kids. <laughs> that's right. Everybody uh, there, it's just really distracting. So uh, how about fishing? So the reason I wanted to bring this up because it happened to me today uh, yeah. and just the timing on this was perfect for our show today. I got an email that was supposed to be on behalf of the American Bar Association for one of their conferences. And I had not had my first cup of coffee yet. So I was a little groggy and I looked at that and there's something about what they called the conference. It just didn't register with me. And so I did a few things to kind of like verify them. Like, I don't recognize that. Who are these people? I hovered over the link for the email and I got an address that just didn't add up with what they purported to be. Now, can you explain to the audience what that, why do we hover over links and, and what that means? 
Yeah, so attackers can make it look like links go to someplace that they really don't. And if you take your mouse on your computer and hover over it, you can see it pop up and see where it's really going to go before you click on it. So again, think before you click, hover your mouse over that link and check where it's really going to go. And if you're on something like your mobile phone where it's hard to do that or you're just not sure, don't click. You know, call, verify, or go directly to that website. I'm just curious, though, did it have the American Bar Association's logo in the email? It did not. They, they claim to be a, uh, a conference service working on their behalf, which oh, they do have. Wow. They have third parties that work for them. So it was a really impressive one. And even with their, uh, they had social media links below, Instagram, Facebook, and I hovered over those and none of those went to Facebook. None of them went to LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm like, okay. And that was really the kind of thing that really got me the hardest was that I know when I hover over my Facebook, it goes to Facebook and I'm like, okay, there's something wrong here. So I'm not clicking on any of that. And you'd be surprised at the amount of research that attackers will do. Everyone's like, oh, my God, how did they know this about me? And you know what? They're, they might be sitting on a couch in Thailand, um, and it doesn't take that long to find out information on you on social media. So they will put in that legwork before they target you. Oh, and you, uh, you, I think you all make a recommendation for this. Uh, you know, when you're hovering over the link, if you don't see an S in the HTTPS, don't click on it. Why is that? What does that S mean? Well, the S means it's secure, kind of. Um, it means that your communication between your computer and the endpoint is encrypted, and you may be able to have some level of authentication of the server. HTTPS is not a silver bullet. It's entirely possible for criminals to set up a system that's the wrong place. It looks like it's PayPal, or it looks like it's Office 365, but it's really theirs, and it's it has a correct HTTPS. So it's not, it doesn't guarantee that it's secure, but if you don't see that S, then definitely don't put in your username or password or anything like that. And then why are Bitly and those abbreviated URLs so uh, difficult and troubling for uh, people when they receive those emails? Yeah, those shortened URLs um, can be tricky. I'm glad you brought that up because you can't immediately see where they go. And there are actually ways, um, like I think you can put a plus at the end of some of them, uh, but you can preview where that website actually goes to. But if you just try hovering, it's not going to help you. All right. Well, thank you so much for that share. That was a really important one because I could just imagine myself in a law firm environment as an attorney or as a staff member. You're really busy. So you're like, oh, I don't know what this is. I have no idea what this conference is about. Let me send it to my assistant. And the assistant looks at that, assuming coming from like a lawyer or a, or a senior partner and like, oh, this must be legitimate. Clicks on it, blows the whole system up. And it was just because they were trying to do their job. And so yeah. I guess that's one of those things too, uh, when you have your policy, wouldn't you recommend that like, hey, if you're suspicious, don't be embarrassed about checking in on the link, even if it's coming from the senior partner, you're just trying to protect the firm and they probably should understand that. So um, probably pretty important to communicate that, right? Yeah, and I would recommend checking with IT. We certainly see cases where one person forwards it to a manager or an executive or a partner in a firm, and then the partner clicks on it and gets infected. So I would send it to someone like your IT team or if you have a special helpline, uh, and that way you can get someone who has some training in security to respond and to let you know if it's legitimate or not. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sherry. If our listeners, they want to follow up, ask questions, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at lmgsecurity.com or you can drop me a line on LinkedIn. My name is Sherry Davidoff. All right. Thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. Also, we'll cite and make available our sources for this episode, as well as other COVID-19 resources for lawyers on our website at LegalTalkNetwork.com. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Cluddy. Stay strong, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.